The only constant friend Helen has had for the past few years, but especially the only companion stuck in her assisted living apartment outside Denver during COVID. But as of yesterday, a cat named Shadow had to be put down. The story of Shadow the Cat and owner Helen, his personal. Shadow quit eating two weeks ago. The vet found a cancerous tumor had taken over one side of her mouth. Helen is my wife's mother. Shadow meant everything. But in these locked down months, there's been more hope than in a very long time. 8 a.m. every day, my wife shares a verse and prays with her mom. Her eyesight and hearing in great decline. 3 p.m. every day, they play trivia and share a book chapter by phone. They encourage each other's faith in the Lord. There's hope, even in loss. Where is your hope found? I hope your hope is found in Jesus. His faithfulness never leaves. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're midweek through a series called I Need Hope. What about you? Churchill called it the black dog. Spurgeon suffered dark days of depression and doubt. You may not have lost your favorite friend like my mother-in-law yesterday, but many of us are feeling our share of stress. Maybe the upcoming election is getting trapped in your mind constantly. I know whenever I mention the death rate from COVID, I get a handful of over-the-top nasty emails. What do we all need? What we need is hope. I'm a Christian. I pray every day to think and act biblically, and my Bible tells me there's only one way to find our hope, and that one way is Jesus. He's our joy. And so, this week, we've turned to a famous church in London, a church faithful to the gospel, and a church famous for its music. For 40 years, All Souls Church has held an annual worship event praising God by packing out Royal Albert Hall. It's called Prom Praise, and this year... Prom Praise became a festival of hope. In these minutes together, we'll hear some of the music from this year's Prom Praise. We'll hear part of a sermon preached at the church where Billy Graham always attended as he was passing through the city to other points in the globe to preach. We'll also spend a few minutes talking about how to find the hope we need. I want our souls to be fed by this year's praise prompt. We'll share together a classic hymn. We'll hear a modern-day hymn from Graham Kendrick. And then after the program, I want you to have the entire hour-and-a-half 2020 praise prom on DVD to bring you hope. A mass choir, a finely-tuned orchestra, a gospel message included. I want you to take a front-row seat for a festival of hope. I was so moved when I saw this year's performance... I want you to have that same sense as well. Just call us after the program, and we'll send it out right away for your gift of any amount to Haven Today. Call us at 800-654-2836. 800-65-HAVEN. Or better yet, watch an excerpt and see what I'm talking about. Then get your DVD there at our website, haventoday.org. haventoday.org. And now we open with that classic hymn I mentioned a moment ago. Lord, Lord, 
this year's Festival of Hope, Prom Praise, How Great Thou Art, made famous by Billy Graham Crusades and sung by the late George Beverly Shea. This is Haven Today and a program called I Need Hope. What about you? I've mentioned how Billy Graham would always worship at All Souls London. It's a church well known for verse-by-verse preaching. Yesterday, we heard David Brown set up the book of Ezra. And today, I want us to hear a little bit more in this moving message from All Souls London. The story of God's people, Chris Wright has written, seems like a never-ending roller coaster. No matter what heights of praise and promise they attain, there always follows the sickening plummet into sin and disobedience. Well, that's what confronts the remarkable, wise, and talented Ezra in chapter 9, verse 1. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices. They have, verse 2, taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. How often is it that the cultural compromise that destroys the church, its greatest threat, takes root inside with the leaders leading the way. The problem here is, verse 14, intermarriage. And the gravity of the issue is unmistakable in Ezra's reaction. But what's his real concern? I break into a bit of a sweat at the very use of the phrase mixed marriage. Growing up in 1950s and 60s Northern Ireland, I'm still haunted by mealtime conversations that went a bit like this. So-and-so's son is getting married. That's nice. She's a very nice girl. Pause. Slight dropping of the voice. But it's a mixed marriage. Nothing more needed to be said. A Protestant boy was about to marry a Roman Catholic girl, and there in a single culturally loaded phrase were all the roots of future problems you needed to know. And then when I moved to London in the 1970s and got to know properly African, Indian, Caribbean people, Jewish people, and shared a flat with Malaysian guys, I came to understand a whole other raft of so-called mixed marriages. Black with white. Malaysian with Brit, Jewish girls marrying out, often with the unspoken innuendo that future problems were all but inevitable in these less than desirable life arrangements. I want to say with as much emphasis as I can that I don't think Ezra's preoccupation here is with that flavor of mixed marriages. The problem he faced was not ethnic or racial mixing of itself. That's never an issue in itself. There was never, you know, any blanket ban on Israelites marrying foreigners. Some of their very biggest names, Joseph, Moses, Boaz, Ruth, had. No, the problem was not racial, but religious. Not sectarian, but spiritual. Friends, the church is the best place in the world for racial reconciliation because we have an identity underneath the most painful categories in our various cultures. Now, here it was a matter, end of verse 2, of unfaithfulness. 
of getting caught up in polluted life and worship. Those detestable practices, the phrases there in verse 1, verse 11, verse 14. The danger was that of cultural assimilation with all its loss of distinctiveness. That had begun, and in just a generation or two, might be complete. And what might flow from that? Verse 2, the holy race, literally the seed of the Messiah, might somehow itself be compromised, went the argument. Though we now know racial purity had nothing to do with that, and that Jesus, by miracles of grace, had some very questionable people indeed in his lineage. Matthew 1 lists them for us. But, suggests Chris Wright, the very language of Israel might be lost, and with that, the all-important ability to hear and understand the Scriptures, the very foundation of the community itself. That list of names there in verse 2, some obviously no longer relevant to Ezra's times, with its echoes of those ancient, unequivocal warnings, prohibitions about intermarriage, Deuteronomy 7, makes clear the real problem was just as it had been in Canaan, and still is, the risk of unfaithfulness and cultural compromise. Here's the issue. A wrong choice of partner may tragically, catastrophically entice you away from firm loyalty to God. Well, we know that, don't we? And it has nothing to do with race or color and everything to do with passion for godly distinctiveness. If we wanted a modern analogy, it would be found surely in the Christian command to marry only a believer. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Well, you've heard it a hundred times. It isn't just a verse about who you marry, no, but it surely speaks to that. You can't really share the things you hold most dear with someone who is a stranger to the Lord. That's really the problem. You have different values. Ultimately, you're living for different things, and you're facing a different destination. Ah, Yes, we say, it feels so right. I've prayed about it and feel peaceful. The Lord will bring him to faith, I hope. He's promised he'll come to church. This will be a good marriage, socially and financially. She's so nice. This may be my last chance. Well, I suspect Israel said all that too. And we know marriages, of course, where wonderfully things work out and people do come to faith. But we know more where believers have simply drifted away, lost zeal, given up. James 4.4 is blunt about the cultural context. Friendship with the world means enmity towards God. Cultural assimilation is just not an option for a believer. Another selection from the Festival of Hope DVD from the Korean classical pianist and Christian Grace Yo, a follower of Jesus. In fact, she used to perform often at All Souls when she was a student. 
And just before that, we heard more from a message preached just a few Sundays back by David Turner. I'm Charles Morris on Haven Today in a program called I Need Hope. What about you? David Turner was sharing why mixed marriages were considered problematic in ancient Israel. It wasn't because of race or ethnicity. It was because of worship. Something we all need to think about. Because of everything going on around us, what we don't hear about a lot is hope. We hear too much about fear, a lot about political expediency. But where is our hope? We need more of it today. And Israel needed it all those years ago when they were losing their identity. Listening to David Turner, a Brit, talk about the reality and pain of racism reminded me of another Brit, one who found hope in Jesus and wrote one of the most famous hymns ever sung. Of course, I'm thinking of John Newton, his hymn Amazing Grace, written in 1772. But I wonder how many of us know John Newton's backstory. I can still remember visiting his vicarage or home one day in Olney, England. It was a special time just being in the house where this pastor lived, remembering his life, thankful for his ministry. I can still remember the passage on the wall of his third floor study. Remember, you were once in bondage, but the Lord redeemed you. It was a biblical quote that Newton wanted to recall every day of the rest of his life. John Newton was a slave trader in his days before he met the Lord. In fact, he was a slave himself for some years when his ship captain betrayed him and left him at a slave plantation in Africa. It was this experience that led him to finally meet Jesus. He realized that he was committing heinous evil by participating in this foul business, transporting slaves from Africa to England. So he became an outspoken critic, along with William Wilberforce. It's an inspiring story, but what we miss sometimes is how Newton's passion against the slave trade was rooted in the hope and the grace he found in the liberating love of Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When John Newton met Jesus, he realized how deep his own sin ran, and he realized how much love the Lord had for him, and it changed his life forever. Years later, he said something that has stayed with me. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That verse, there in his study, on the third floor of the vicarage, in a market town, Olney, England, was a constant reminder to him of where he had been and where he had forced others to be. It was a reminder of our bondage to sin and the hope we have when we are set free. It's the kind of freedom that strengthens us no matter what we're struggling with or suffering through. I need that kind of hope. What about you? Job in the Old Testament needed this hope. He had lost his family and his wealth and his life as he knew it, and he was suffering. And to make matters worse, his friends were telling him that it was all his fault. They told him that only sinners suffer. And I know there are some of us that have heard that preached or taught or said and have thought that about ourselves in the darkness of pain. Job needed the light of hope to break through. And that's what we find in Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Hope. That's exactly what Job had in that moment. Hope that wasn't uncertain. Hope that was confident in the promise of the Lord. Listen again to Job's confidence. I know my Redeemer lives. I will see God. I and my own eyes will see him. Do you have this kind of hope today? It's a hope that goes beyond the grave. It makes our hearts yearn. But to be with the Lord, to see him with our own eyes, that's the hope of the resurrection. Job was looking ahead to meeting the Messiah, Jesus. What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? The Redeemer lives. He came, he died, he rose again, and he did it for us, to save us from our sin, to free us from our bondage, to bring us hope. That's the life-changing news that we all need today. If we have any hope of standing firm, of living a life of holiness that's not compromised by power or politics, we need that certain hope that we will stand with the Lord at the end, that we will see him face to face. And when we do, for those of us who have our faith in him, we will hear, well done, enter into my rest. Now this is good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings peace with God and you and me. Now may the peace of the Lord sing together. Be with you. Be with you. Now may the peace of the Lord be with you. Be with you. Now
filled with strings and harps and something that you just need to see and hear. But Graham Kendrick wrote and sang, Peace, now may the peace of the Lord be with you. This is Haven Today in a program called I Need Hope. What about you? Prom Praise has always been a unique event, packing out Royal Albert Hall in London with classical worship that makes one's heart sing. But this year's event was even more inspired as the pandemic moved from the hall to the World Wide Web. And now, this powerful event, this year called A Festival of Hope, is on DVD. And we have it exclusively for you at Haven Today. It's a compilation of the best prom praise performances at the hall from over the last few decades, as well as some very moving virtual presentations. As you watch you will gain a tangible sense of God's presence at work through the music. Made by an orchestra over a hundred strong, a mass choir of hundreds, and a full house raising the roof in praise of God. Plus, you can hear from some of today's top worship artists like the Gettys, Paul Balash, and Graham Kendrick. Prom Praise, a Festival of Hope DVD, is your front row ticket to a worship experience that I'd like to send to you for your gift to this ministry. Would you call us right now? And the number is 800-654-2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or watch it for yourself and see what I mean. On our website, we have the program trailer and reserve your front row seats, meaning the DVD for a festival of hope. Make your gift at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again we'll find our hope together in the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with God, this is David Wolin with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Children often resemble their parents, but it's more than just inherited DNA that makes them look similar in the eyes of others. It's also their behavior, little mannerisms they pick up at home. And it's one of the reasons adopted children often appear to resemble their adoptive parents. And you know what? The same thing happens to you if, through Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we as we contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, the more you look at Christ, the more you start to look like Christ. Get Anchor Devotional delivered in print at getanchor.com.